Hey, it's Jules. And Elizabeth. And this is- Why did I say it like that? I don't know. yourself in that moment um it's a true crime spaghetti head episode such a scary spaghetti okay so um the last time we did a true crime I totally forgot to do like a disclaimer in the beginning of the episode so I'm gonna start doing that now good call um so basically this is my disclaimer so it might not be suitable for all audiences if you are um sensitive to topics around um sexual abuse or um anything like that please proceed with caution slash maybe you don't listen to this episode but um just to reiterate so we try to and it we won't always but we try to um focus on um true crime situations where there is a survivor because we like to try to focus on the the positive and the the good things that come out of um some of the darker things that happen in life so um so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna start go go for it okay are you ready for a story julie i'm i've been ready i'm so ready so michelle knight was born on april she was born in april of 1981 she grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. She's 4'7", and uh, used to have the nickname Shorty. She's so small. So little, yeah. And she's really, really adorable. Um, and unfortunately had been bullied in school. So at the age of 17, which was the year 1998, she told her mom that she had been assaulted at school. Um, unfortunately, her and her mother uh, don't slash didn't have a very good relationship. Um, so that it wasn't really addressed. She ended up dropping out of high school um, after getting pregnant and had her son, Joey. So when Joey was just a toddler, he actually endured um, an injury. I'm not sure what the specifics were of it, but some speculate that it was from um, an abusive boyfriend of Michelle's. So, Mm, yeah. So he was then taken out of Michelle's care and then put into foster care. Um, So you can imagine, like, she doesn't have a good home life. There's already things going on. She's so young. Joey's like her only light and like he's just taken out of her out of mm-hmm. her life at this time. So um, on August 23rd, 2002, Knight left her cousin's home and subsequently disappeared. She was 20 years old and some speculated that she likely ran away on her own because she was so distraught from losing Joey. Where was this? Uh, this was in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. So all happening in Cleveland. Okay. Got mm-hmm. it. Yep. Um, Although her mother continued to, like, post flyers and kind of keep looking for her, she was for some reason taken out of the FBI's database of missing persons in 2003. So she was really Mm -hmm. only in the database not even for a year because she went missing in August of 2002. So Weird. um, However, on August 23rd, 2002, rather than actually running away, she had been offered a ride by a man named Ariel Castro. She said yes because she actually knew Ariel's daughter. Um, and on the ride, they talked about Michelle's plan to get Joey back. And um, he actually told her that his dog had just had puppies. So he said a puppy would be a great welcome home present for Joey, you know, once you get him back. Yeah. Um, 
would you like one? And she was like, oh, absolutely. So they arrived to his home at um, 2207 Seymour Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. And that's when she agreed to enter the home in order to get the puppy for Joey. She entered the home and Ariel told her, oh, the puppies are just upstairs. Um, follow me. And he took her upstairs when she realized that there never really were any puppies. This seems like a bad, a bad omen. Like really, really bad. Yeah. If you walk into a quiet house and you don't hear the puppies, just mm-hmm. time to book it in the other direction, girl. I know. Um, so the next person we're going to focus on now, her name is Amanda Berry. She was born April 22nd, 1986. Oh my gosh. More birthday. I know. Days. Almost. Um, also raised in Cleveland, Ohio, and Amanda worked at the Burger King in town, which, like, praise chicken fries, right? I mean, I love that little Whopper, Whopper Jr., <sighs> all day long. So on April 21st, 2003, Amanda got up to go to work as um, she told ABC News that she actually almost called out that day, which is really sad. Um, on her walk home from work, she was walking through a relatively residential area and noticed a van in a driveway but the van was like the back of the van was sticking out into the sidewalk. So she was forced to like walk around, around the van. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as she was walking around the van, you know, it's kind of your instinct. You're like, you're going to look at who's in the van, right? Like she's yeah. like, dude, you're in my way. Um, and she noticed that it was um, Ariel Castro and his daughter Arlene who she recognized because I think they might have gone to school together at some point. So she smiled at them and kept on walking. Um, a few minutes later, the same van actually had followed her and then approached her on her walk. And it's just um, broad daylight? Yeah. See, I live in fear of this. Oh, yeah. All the like, time. Like, all the time. I'm scared. If if you're driving a vehicle big enough to, like, throw me in the back of it easily, I'm I'm running the other way. Easily. Good thing I drive a Civic. Yeah, you can't. You can't, you can't shove I the just, jewels in a Civic. I could just <laughs> put all my limbs out in opposite directions and just be like, no! <laughs> Sometimes when Matt gets in my car to drive it, he's like, he like, like he's subconsciously ducking. Like while he's driving, he looks like he's driving a go-kart. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so the van had followed her and approached her on the walk, but this time she noticed that, um, Ariel's daughter was no longer in the van and he was just by himself. So he appeared to be alone. He asked her if she needed a ride and she said yes. Um, and never say I mean, yes, even if you know them sometimes. I know. It's just so Unless hard you really like, know them. Like you really, really know them. Not you're like, oh, yeah. I think that's that girl's dad. Because some people's dads are creepy. I know. There were some people when I was growing up, my mom like would not let me sleep at their house. And yeah. like, I just remember at the time being like, oh, God, you're the worst. And now I'm like, thanks, because They were probably a creepy parent. Yeah. You never know. Um, So he struck up a conversation with her once she got in the van and mentioned um, Amanda knowing Arlene, his daughter. So he was like, you know, Arlene's at my house. Like, do you want to go see her? And she was like, sure. Like, we're friends. Like, yeah, I'll come. If Arlene's not doing anything, I'll come over and hang out. Okay. Where were they going? Where she needed a ride? (laughs) Were they just driving around He was supposed to take her to her house. And then he was like, just kidding, come to my house? Yeah. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they arrived to Seymour Avenue and entered the home. Ariel told Amanda that Arlene's, quote, probably just taking a bath. And he began to, like, show her around the house while they waited for her. Um, he took her upstairs and opened up one of the bedroom doors where she saw a mysterious woman sleeping in front of a television set. And she later learned that that woman was Michelle Knight. And she was sleeping or no? She was sleeping, yeah. 
She was okay. asleep. I don't know if she like thought she was sleeping and she was dead. No. Spoiler alert, they all live. Okay, good. Yeah. So the next person that we're going to focus on is Georgina De, De, De Jesus. Okay. I promise I won't say her last name again because I'm just butchering it. But she goes by Gina. Um, so she was born on April 1st of 1990, which I want to point out they're all born all in April. April birthdays. I was just Isn't going to crazy? say that. That's really weird. Yeah. Um, also raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, as a 13-year-old, Gina walked almost 40 blocks to and from her home um, to go to the Wilbur Wright Middle School. So she was passing through like commercial areas that were mixed with like rundown areas frequented by prostitutes, mm-hmm. is what this source said. Um, on April 2nd, 2004, Gina's mom gave her a dollar twenty-five to take the bus home. But being a 13-year-old girl, of course, she's like, I'm going to keep this money for gum and snacks and makeup. And, you know, yeah. and I used to do that. My mom would give me money for lunch and I would like pack a lunch and then just hoard the 20 bucks for oh, yeah. the next two weeks. Right. Totally. But, um, so it was on her daily walk home from middle school that she was offered a ride home by a man she recognized as her former bus driver from elementary school. So I want to interject. Um, Castro was a elementary school bus driver so that's just quick statement that i'm making um that's the so rather than taking her yeah rather than taking her home he had asked her to help him move a stereo so i guess it's like a weird request from a child yeah (laughs) so i don't know i couldn't really find if she was like yeah sure i'll help you move a stereo or if she was just like if it's on the way like it's fine you know like i think she was just so But because no one had witnessed Gina's abduction, an Amber Alert was not issued after she was reported missing. Mm. So um, really upsetting. Her family continued to push to look for her and push to, like, keep her story alive, which, like, I can't imagine having a family member, much much less a child, go missing. Yeah. Um, But that's the one thing I would say is, like, just I feel like if I did, that's all I would do is I would just, like, camp out. Oh, constantly. Of. I wouldn't be able to exist. No. Yeah, no. Yeah. You know me, how I get focused on problems. That, that oh, would yeah. be, I wouldn't be able to keep a job. Like, no, it would no. be awful. That would be my job is to like yeah. just keep the story keep alive. looking but... for my child. Yeah, totally. So props to Gina's family. Um, her family continued to just push to make sure that it was like, um, like that her face was recognizable, which is very important. Um, they posted flyers around and she was actually featured on America's most wanted for three consecutive years. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about 2207 Seymour Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, it's also known as the house of horrors and we'll post a, yeah, we'll post a photo of it on our Instagram, but basically just to give you like a verbal visual. It's a two-story white house with a peaked roof and a small front porch. Okay. The front door has like a storm door and um, it's just kind of, it's not like in a super nice area of town. So. Okay. Um, so once Michelle realized that there were no puppies, um, Castro used an orange extension cord to tie her so wait, neck. We're, we're back at Michelle. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I'm bouncing a little bit. Okay, that's so cool. So tell me if you get confused. No, it's all um, I was trying to keep it consecutive, but also chronological. Yes. So I wanted to give you the backstories of the girls and how they got to the house before I started going through the details. Got you. So um, once Michelle realized that there were no puppies, uh, Castro used an orange extension cord to tie her neck, hands, and feet, and then, quote-unquote, hang her like a fish in the bedroom. Ah. Yeah. 
she was later untied and moved to the basement where he retied her and placed a chain around her neck and then placed the other end of the chain around a pole. Um, he told her, quote, this is where you're going to stay until I can trust you. You're only going to be here as a friend. That's it. And then I'll, I'll let you go on Christmas. Um, but really she was there for 10 years. years, Yeah. Yeah. My God. Um, so Michelle was forced to wear a motorcycle helmet while in the basement and being tied up, which made it extremely difficult for her to breathe. And like, it kept causing her to pass out. Cause remember she's little, she's only four, seven. So she's got like a huge orange extension cord, completely like almost asphyxiating her. And then she's also got a chain wrapped around her. She's also being hung and she's got this like 15 pound motorcycle helmet on. Like she can't breathe. Um, she was forced to wear the helmet for the first three weeks while in the house. Um, but while there, she was raped, hit, whipped, choked, forced to use the restroom into a bucket, was only allowed to shower once a year, and Castro withheld clothes and blankets from her. Oh. I know. What a piece of shit. Yeah, awful. Like, it's, like, I was reading this and I was, like, tearing up and also trying not to throw up. Um, so... Michelle was eventually moved from the basement back up to a bedroom, which had boarded windows, um, and she was chained to a bed. So Michelle became pregnant in that first year, and when Castro found out, he punched her in the stomach with a barbell in order to force her to miscarry. Did it work? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, She said she first became aware that she may not have only been the only victim in Castro's house when she noticed that there was an area in the basement that said, quote unquote, rest in peace. Oh my God. And she couldn't make out the name that was written underneath it. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but upon Michelle's first encounter with Amanda Barry, um, who just to give you a quick little reminder, Amanda was the one that was walking home from um, her shift at Burger King. She said she looked like she wanted to cry, but she didn't cry. Michelle and Amanda were not allowed to stay in the same room together for long, and they maybe only saw each other like six or seven times in that first year. Um, Michelle became a support. I mean, I believe it, but it's a small house. I know. It's because he would like keep them in their bedrooms as like separate prison cells, essentially. So like he would he would board the windows, keep them in these separate rooms and like padlock the doors so they couldn't get out so they were rarely ever able to see each other unless they were like all brought downstairs at the same time to like do chores and stuff wow so they only got to see each other like six or seven times in that first year so this is before gina's there so it's just michelle and amanda there right now um michelle became a support for amanda and she would like calm her down sometimes when she would get upset um Michelle is the oldest one, so I do want to point that out. So, like, it, they kind of are abducted in order of age. Okay. So, Michelle's the oldest, Amanda's the middle one, and then um, Gina is the youngest. So okay. Michelle becomes pregnant a total of five times while in captivity, and Holy each shit. time, yeah, each time Castro would starve her and punch her or abuse her in a way until she would miscarry. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was, like, reading, they were talking about, like, because she was in such bad shape after they were rescued. Yeah. That she, like, Michelle was actually put into hospice care. And they were, like, 
doing an exam of her like internal organs and like her female organs and they were looking at like the case file and they were like you're never going to be able to have a kid again like it was she was in such bad shape like there could have been so many different complications um but after amanda saw the mystery woman who we now know as michelle knight so um amanda's kind of introduction to the home right she castro took amanda to the next bedroom told her to pull her pants down from that moment she knew it was not going to be good right but um Castro then moved her to the basement and taped her wrists and ankles and then put a belt around her ankles over the tape, I guess to just reinforce it. Um, He also put the motorcycle helmet over her head like he did with Michelle and told her, don't make any noise and I'll take you home. Castro left her chained to the pole with the lights off and the television on in the basement. Um, On April 24th, 2003, which was day four of Amanda's captivity, she watched her sister, her mother and her sister on the TV in the basement. Oh, my God. Like, pushing her missing person story to headlines. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, after that, Castro moved her back upstairs to the bedroom and chained her to a radiator. She later told ABC News about how hard it was for her to sleep when she was chained to the radiator because he had actually put the chain, like, around her stomach and the lock for it was on her back so she couldn't get comfortable because like if you're sleeping on your side the chain's just going to crush your ribs on the opposite side but you can't yeah. lay on your back because there, there's a giant lock so it was just she's like i literally couldn't sleep oh god um barry um amanda barry was missing for a week when her family received a late night call from castro he taunted them using barry's cell phone he called and said quote i have mandy which her sister said, like, nobody called her Mandy, but people that knew her. Um, And he said, quote, she wants to be with me. So, but that was, like, on her cell phone, which was weird. But I think he did that just so that they would answer, like, the recognizable number. But in 2003, the FBI were starting to develop technology that could track her cell phone's location if it was, like, turned on. Um, The FBI said that they waited around the clock. Like, they had a team that was just waiting for... like activity to come up with her um like to ping her cell phone Uh um for a week but it was never used again like they kept watching it but like no it no one touched it again after Uh that um amanda's room was the size of a closet it was completely dirty and just a wreck she had a bucket as a bathroom and once a day castro would give her a bag of chips or crackers Barry said that everything nice came with a price. So, like, for example, if she wanted to take a shower, like, she was forced to shower with him. Mm. Yeah. Like, you can't even... She said, at one point, she said, she was like, I just had to, like, learn how to numb myself from the abuse. Because there was never... Yeah, you would have to. There was never a time for her to, like, decompress or come down from it. Because, like, you can't even shower by yourself. Like, um... So one day she was, or sorry, one day Castro was leaving to run an errand and asked Amanda um, if she wanted anything, which was nice, right? Um, <laughs> she asked for a coloring book and a diary, and Castro agreed to get her a diary as long as she didn't write any names in it. So Amanda actually used the diary to record events and abuse, um, which was really, really smart. She would, like, mark X's and numbers at the tops of pages to keep track of, like, days but also keep count of sexual and physical abuse 
but listen to this. She said, um, yeah, she was keeping count so that the authorities could have a real number to work off of when he would one day be prosecuted. Oh, that's She's so a smart. Giant fuck you. Yeah, so smart. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I would like to think that I would be within the right mind to try to do something like that if I was in this situation, but like God only knows. Um, I know. God. So. <laughs> So almost a year into Amanda's captivity, Castro went out and um, brought Gina home to live with him. So now we're going to talk about Gina. Um, Once she entered the house, she said his behavior was very strange. He was trimming his nose hairs and like fixing his eyebrows and shit and like started to touch her. And she confronted him and was like, you can go to jail for that. Like, which go you girlfriend. Yeah. Um, So he was like, quote, you're going home now, but you can't go through the same door you came in. So he walked her to the basement and chained her up, similar to um, how he did with Michelle and Amanda. He did not, at first he, like, didn't chain her tight enough, so she was actually able to, like, get it up and around her shoulders and, like, throw it over her body and, like, try to make a run for it. And, um, but unfortunately, he was able to catch her and he like, threw her on the ground and, like, sat on her back to overpower her so she couldn't move. Mm. So he got her back up and chained her back up to the pole, um, <clears throat> turned the radio on in the basement on full blast, and then turned the lights off. That's, like, the most terrifying thing. Like, loud noises that are just... Well, it would deafen out any... Like, you wouldn't know if you were, like, being approached. Right. So it's pitch black, and there's a loud radio playing... Whatever it is, it doesn't even really matter, but it's drowning out any other, like, footsteps or anything, so you wouldn't know if somebody was, like, coming up behind you or something. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so you cannot calm down. You can't – I mean, not in this – not like you'd be able to relax in this situation anyway, but, like, you don't even get a chance to, like, catch your breath. Yeah. Um, So Gina said the first time Castro raped her was on May 7th, 2004. She says that though she remembers the exact date – She's not comfortable discussing the details of what happened. Fair. I don't blame, I don't blame her. Yeah. Um, at first, it seemed that he was kind of treating Gina as a favorite. So she apparently, like, had the nicest room and, like, was getting nicer things than the other girls. But, like, in some uh, interviews after they were – obviously, all the interviews were after they were found. But um, in some of their interviews, the girls were like – I mean, put it in perspective, like – None of us had anything, so it's not even like we could be upset or jealous reasonably. She's like, it was just like in the moment, of course, like if she gets a bigger room, we're going to be like, she just got here. Why does she get the bigger room, right? Right. Um, But the small gestures that Gina did receive made Amanda and Michelle feel jealous. So not that they were ever really able to like hang out by themselves, but like collectively they kind of had this jealous – attitude towards Gina so at one point um Castro actually got a hold of a missing persons flyer of Gina that her family had been handing out and he brought it home and gave it to her why Um, did he do this so I don't know what his reasoning was I wonder if like his reasoning was like oh they're out there looking for you but like they're not gonna find you like I have no idea what his thought process was behind giving it to her but um in an interview I watched she was like Honestly, I was so thankful to get that because it was the closest thing to my family that I had because I know I knew like 
either my mom or someone in my family had touched that wire. Well, yeah, I mean, that, well, that's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. But I was also going to say, for me, I don't know. I feel like that would just motivate her more to escape. Right. Or, like, try to escape. So I don't know why he would He would give it to her. I don't know. make a lot of sense. Unless, like you said, it was just, like, to be mean. Yeah, I don't don't know. And he's a dumb piece of shit, so. Exactly. He's just, yeah. But... He So she decided to put it up in her room, like, as a decoration and as, like, a piece of hope so that she could look at it every day and, like, remind herself, like, okay, my family's out there looking for me. Like, right. They're close, you know. Um, so Castro took special care to keep the girls divided, and he didn't permit them to talk to each other. Um, in 2004, Amanda Berry's mom went on the Montel Williams show to meet with psychic Sylvia Brown. Um, Brown told Amanda's mom, Luana that Amanda was not alive. So Amanda Mm. actually watched this entire episode on her tiny little black and white TV in her cell of a bedroom. And she was like, but I am. She's like, I'm alive. Yeah. Like, ugh. Um, In March 2006, Amanda Berry's mom actually passes away while she's in captivity. And some say it was from a broken heart. Oh, God. Some sources said that... um, Michelle actually told Amanda that her mom died and she was like, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. And she was like, what? But I had a hard time finding that. Um, On Amanda's 20th birthday, she realizes that she might be pregnant. So she ends up giving birth in a kiddie pool on Christmas in 2006. So she kept her pregnancy secret, I'm guessing. Um, Or I don't know if it was necessarily a secret because she said like at one point she went to go to the bathroom and she like, this is kind of, this is kind of graphic. So fast forward 15 seconds if you don't want to hear it. But I guess she like sat down to go to the restroom and she heard like a pop and um, she had been in like labor pains for some of the day, but she was just like, I'm cramping. Like, I don't really know what's going on, but remember he's starving these women. So it's not like right. she's got this giant baby bump. Yeah. So I don't know if she necessarily had to keep it a secret or if she just like, I don't know. Um, but I guess he realized that her water had broken. So he, like, took her downstairs and, like, put her in a kiddie pool. Um, and... Seems like a weird reaction. <laughs> Putting her in a kiddie pool? Well, like, were water births even a thing then that people did? I mean... And even if probably. they were, how would he have known this? <laughs> he doesn't seem super in touch with reality. Well, they didn't say that it was, like, the point of it was a water birth. Like, I don't even think he filled it with water. Like, she was just in oh, the Oh, it was just pool. an empty Okay. I was, like, like she, picturing, like, like guess, an at-home water birth. And I was, like, no, well, that's very modern it, of him. But No, it was, like, she said it was more so just to make sure there wasn't a mess. So, oh. she had, I know. So, she ended up giving birth in a kiddie pool on Christmas Day in 2006. Um, the baby was a little girl named Jocelyn and she was kind of like the hope that Michelle and Amanda and um, Gina needed so as Jocelyn grew up she was told that her mother's chains were quote-unquote bracelets but when she was like two or three Castro decided to take the chains off of Amanda um, which was kind of different right because he's not giving any of them any type of freedom or liberty so the idea that he did that was kind of progressive of him given the situation I guess um as Jocelyn grew older Castro allowed her freedoms that um Amanda and Gina and Michelle like all did not have so um 
although like she was locked in with the girls um like she was locked in with her mom when Castro left the house but Jocelyn occasionally was allowed to like go outside like go in the backyard uh Castro would take her to the park or to like Sunday services like he would go to church with her oh that's cool to know yeah and um he was telling people that it was his girlfriend's daughter gross and like it was just it was just weird Um, where is his daughter in all this by the way whatever so his family yeah so his he has two daughters so his family would like come over and they would just be downstairs like none of them ever went upstairs for anything so they never really noticed do you really feel like they didn't know there was anything i don't know i don't know i would like to see an interview with his family to be yeah because how would you how would you not know yeah um so but like i said he like would take her to church and stuff um so, like, Castro's love for Jocelyn seemed to turn him into a different man when he was with her. But at the same time, um, Amanda was like, well, obviously I was concerned. Like, he was raping Gina when she was 13 years old. Like, I'm, of course, yeah. going to just assume that he's going to try to touch my three-year-old. Like, why Absolutely. would you? Absolutely. Why yeah. would you not think that? Exactly. So, she was always concerned, like, when Jocelyn wasn't around, which is understandable, but she was just trying to be positive. And one of the interviews that Amanda did, um, it was really cute. She was talking about how like the, um, I forget he was conducting the interview, but she was like, so what would you do like on a daily basis with Jocelyn? Like what was your daily routine? And she was like, we would, um, go to, we would go to make, make believe school. And she was like, what do you, can you give me an example? And she was like, so we would get up and I would, um, cook her an invisible breakfast and then we would walk to school, like imaginary school, and I would drop her off. And then all of a sudden I was the teacher. <laughs> She's like, so I would teach her like the things that I knew. And I would try to like keep it consistent with like studies of her age, you know, and like yeah. color. And she's like, and then I would, and then mommy would pick her up from school and we would walk back home and we would get home and we would play. And so she would try to keep a, a reasonable routine for her, which is super respectable. Yeah, um, it is. So now we're going to get to some positivity. We're going to talk about their escape. Um, on May 6, 2013, Jocelyn went downstairs because um, I guess she would he would leave sometimes leave her out of being locked up with the girls when he was gone, I guess. I don't know. But either way, she had the different freedoms. So she was downstairs, and she ran back up to Amanda's and bedroom And how old door. was she at this point? Three. Okay. Um, she ran back up to Amanda's bedroom door and like kind of whispered through the door frame and she was like, daddy's gone. I don't see his blue car anywhere. And Amanda asked her like, are you sure? Can you run back downstairs? I want you to check all over the house. I want you to look in the garage. I want you to look like out of all the windows, like make sure that you don't see his blue car, make sure you don't see him. Um, so she checked and she came back and she was like, he's no, he's not here. And so for the first time in 10 years, Amanda went to, like, open the door handle. Because, like, if you're in captivity that long, you're just going to assume that it's still locked. Oh, yeah. For the first time in 10 years, she, her bedroom door was unlocked. So she grabs Jocelyn, runs down to the front door. The front door is open, but it's, like, wired with an alarm. Um, and then in front of the front door that separates the inside from the outside, it was um, – the, the, there was a storm door, but it was padlocked shut. 
so there was like a small opening between the door frames and she was able to like squeeze her arm through and she was like waving it frantically and like screaming for help um and the neighbor his name is charles ramsey he shows up so he like comes over and she's like please help me please help me like i've been here for 10 years like i'm amanda berry like i'm missing like please help me and so he's like okay step back like because the door was put on the frame in a way to keep things in rather than to like keep things out exactly yeah so yeah. she yeah so she's like she couldn't get out so he was able to like kind of kick through a portion of the door and jocelyn was able to crawl out and then he was like okay get back and like kicked it all the way out and um amanda like ran out and um gave him a hug and was like call 911 call 911 right now um and when the police showed up Gina said, she was like, I remember taking a really long time to even open my door to look outside because I, I couldn't believe that the police were actually there. She's like, I thought that they were like actors that he had hired. I was going like, to say, in... you would, you would think yeah. that though. Like yeah. after 100%. so many years of mental abuse, like there's no way you would believe you're actually getting out. Oh, a hundred percent. And so, um, on August 1st, 2013, Castro was sentenced to life plus 1,000 years in prison after pleading guilty to 937 counts of kidnapping and rape. On September 3rd, 2013, he was found dead in his prison cell. Um, he had hung himself, so he committed suicide, which is not fair. It's not yeah. fucking fair. You should, you should serve your time. You should have to live your life in prison, honestly. <sighs> they should have put him on suicide watch. Yeah. Um. So by the time Castro had killed himself, his house had already been demolished. And so now it's a garden, which is uplifting. Um, two years later, Gina and Amanda graduated from high school. And Gina got the quinceanera she never had. Oh, that was nice. I know. I want to find a picture. The article said that she wore, like, a dazzling, like, glitter gown. Like, I want to find a, a picture of it. If I can find it, I'll post it. Um, Michelle Knight now goes by Lily Rose Lee. She actually changed her name after she was rescued. Uh, while she was in captivity, she had seen a newspaper article in the house about how, like, lilies are a symbol of purity and new life. Yeah. So she was like, girl, that is my name. Um, and then Rose and Lee are named after um, loved ones from her life. So, cool. Yeah. She's now married and has a second child. Um, she doesn't necessarily, in the last interview I watched, she doesn't necessarily have a relationship with her with joey who was her first child that was put in foster care um at the time of the interview which i believe was a couple years ago probably 2016 so like three or four years ago um he was around the age of like 17 or 18 and they didn't really have a relationship but she was like hopeful that she would be able to find him at some point and at least just like reach out and like introduce herself yeah um so one quote from Michelle that, like, literally made me cry. She said, quote, I want my son to know me as a victor, not a victim. And I want him to know that I survived loving him. His love got me through. Aww. <laughs> my heart. Um, after they were rescued, the two things that Amanda asked for were a birth certificate for Jocelyn and a headstone for her mother's grave because she didn't have one. Mm. Yeah. Kills me. Um, Barry now works with a local news station covering missing children and adults in the Cleveland area. Um, on April, in April of 2015, Amanda and Gina released their memoir, 
Hope, a memoir of Sur survival in Cleveland, which I really, it's on my list of books to read. Once I'm done reading Mindhunter, I want to buy that book. Um, in 2018, Gina founded the Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults to, quote, work with the families to help them navigate the media and to help them get to the police station. It's awesome. To help to go to the police station. To help them quote you, work you good with the, <laughs> god quote work with the families to help them navigate the media to help them go to the police station oh is that like to help traffic with pr i don't know i don't know I don't, i'll find out um most amazingly uh gina gina's foundation is actually located on the same street where she was held captive for nine wow. years isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Full circle. Did they Full demolish his house circle. because of all this? Or is that just like yeah. a... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I would imagine like once he was sentenced, they probably went to like seize assets and they were just like, nope. Burn it to the ground. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Really scary. What's the... So, and no news on his family? No, I didn't really look into him that much because as I was reading this, I was just getting so mad. And it's like, it's not about him, you know, but I would be interested to see. Let me look. Ariel Castro's family. Oh, they do have some interviews with CNN and stuff. I, I can't imagine. Got, like items before the home was demolished and stuff like that. I just but, can't like, imagine. I wouldn't want anything. Yeah, I don't... <sighs> I don't, you say that, I don't think I'd want anything either, but I just can't imagine finding that out. I mean, you've got to, you've got to hope that they didn't know. Right. And then what is that like to find that out? Like, I don't know. That just seems like trauma in and of itself. Oh, for sure. To learn that about your parent. So he has a son, Ariel, Ariel, sorry, not, he's not a mermaid, Ariel Anthony Castro. He's, um, at the time of this article, he's 31 years old and he tends to go by his middle name, Anthony, because he doesn't want to like take the burden of having, um, his dad's first name. Yeah. I um, can understand that. Yeah. Ugh. He had just gotten off work. From his job as a customer service representative at the Columbus Bank when his phone started ringing off the hook. Oh, about his dad? Out, yeah, to find out about his dad. Yeah, like, that's that's insane. Because that must mean that they had, like, somewhat of a normal relationship prior to this. Yeah. I would guess. I don't know. But that is crazy. And he said, like, his sister said that she had been so worried because she was, since she was friends with Gina, I guess, she was, like, she felt. Responsible? Yeah, she felt guilt in a way. Which, I mean, it's, it's not on her, but, oh, my gosh, did you hear that? Murphy thinks a lot of things about this. Yeah. Um, in a way, um, though, I mean, your children are obviously not, like, direct victims, but they're victims as well. 
because imagine carrying that trauma around for the rest of your life of like finding that out. And then, like you said, carrying the guilt and feeling partially responsible, which like she shouldn't, but I can understand why that would happen. So here's a quote from one of his kids. It says, my father was always very secretive growing up on Seymour Avenue. There were parts of the house we weren't allowed in. He kept a lock on the attic and in the basement and on the basement door and on the garage. He nailed the windows shut. It didn't seem weird to me at the time. Which like. That would seem weird to me. That would seem weird to me. Like I'm not. They, they aren't I'm the not judging. I'm, I'm not, not judging. Them. I just don't like it just. But it would seem weird. I don't know. Wow. So where are all of the girls now? So uh, it seems like Gina is still in Cleveland because she's working on the same street. Um, right. She started the like nonprofit type thing. Yeah. And then Amanda works for the local news station. She's, she's still in, Cle- in Cleveland, but I'm not really sure where Lily Rose is. Like, I don't know her exact location. Um, and a lot of the interviews, it seemed like she was kind of um, a little bit more independent from Amanda and Gina. Like Amanda and Gina seemed to be like doing, like getting through this stuff together. Um, and then like Lily Rose kind of does it on her own. I think she's just like, putting it past her like she'd already had so much shit going on before she was even um kidnapped that she's just like I'm fucking over it like I have my life I've got my husband I have my kid like I'm good to go I I can't I'm very impressed with the ability of them all to just even have normal lives after this oh a hundred percent there's no there's there's no way I no I couldn't do it I would I would need to be like permanently hospitalized yeah so they are some strong ladies. That's insane. Mm-hmm. But he is disgusting, and now he's dead, and he's rotting in hell, so it's fine. I'm annoyed that he's dead in a way. I know. I know. I, really I want wish. him to have had to live out his life in jail. Yeah. Although that's expensive for us, so, like, maybe whatever. I don't that's know. true. Yeah. <laughs> taxpayers. All right those here. taxpayer dollars. Yeah. So... But that is the story of um, the House of Horrors in Cleveland. Damn. So you have pictures of the house and stuff we're going to post on Facebook? Yeah, or I do. And there's like a, there's a photo of a model that they recreated of like the layout of the house. And it kind of looks like a dollhouse. It's really creepy. But I'll try to find a picture of that too. Yeah. Um, but there's also a um, nine, the 911 call of um, Amanda when she had gotten out of the front door there's a 911 call i'll try to find it and see if i can add it to this episode yeah or even post it on the instagram yeah use the little video thing yeah but her voice is like if you listen to her interviews and like hear her talking about stuff like she's so chill and then you listen to the um the 911 call you're like holy shit like you can tell she's just so excited to finally be out so she's probably like elated adrenaline. but shocked and like yeah it's like adrenaline it's all of it like I cannot right. imagine having gone through that and then like holy shit yeah it's yeah. so. absolutely insane but I'm sure Jocelyn is thriving oh yeah what's her deal um she's a minor so I've, there's not a lot of information oh on true yeah fair enough true letting her live her life yeah true Damn. so that's uh, true crime episode number two 
I'm going to need another bottle of wine after that one. Hopefully, uh, you can sleep tonight. What time does Brandon get home? <laughs> um, he's actually helping move a couch right now. Oh, so great. So he is not working, so he will be home fairly shortly, thank God. That's great. Because, <laughs> yeah, that is literally a nightmare. And I feel a little vindicated, though, for the yeah. fact that I do run away from vans, even when I'm running on broad daylight. I feel less crazy for doing that. Yeah, but now you need to just be careful that when you're running, you don't fall because then you're just easier to catch and throw in the van. I know. I know. It's very true. And my my knee injury is healing up so nicely right now. It looks so. really good. Yeah, it looks great. It's way less like a hamburger than it was last week. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say the there is a Lifetime movie about this. Now you're speaking my language. Oh, girl, I know. I tried to watch it, but it was like $4.99 on Amazon Prime. And I was like, oh, no. bitch is balling on a budget. So yeah, I can't. same. But um, so I definitely want to watch that. Maybe next time you and I are hanging out, we'll watch it. But, oh, my God. Um, it sounds amazing. So follow us on Instagram at Spaghetti Heads Podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Spaghetti underscore Heads. And email us your embarrassing stories like all the time. At oh podcast at outlook.com. I'm sure you listened to last Thursday's episode. Hopefully you laughed as hard as we did. And hopefully you laughed so hard you sharded your pants. Like that one person did. I think. Yeah. Didn't somebody shart? Oh yeah. Um Oh yeah. So yeah, keep sending them in because we're really liking reading them and sharing them with the world. It's guys. really it's really great. Making my making my days a little less sad yeah. with COVID. But Well, thank you all for listening, and Julie, I'm going to go make dinner. Sounds good. Cheers. Okay, cheers.